You're listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API. Now from the Nowcast Network Studios, here's Mike. Hey, welcome to the Audio Nowcast. My name is Mike Rodriguez. And before we get going, let me introduce the guys. Over here on my right, we've got... Bobby Osinski. Bobby, welcome back. Oh, thanks, Mike. Good to be back. Hi, it's, everybody. It's been a while. Next to him, we've got our good buddy, Scott Gershon. Scott. Hey. Hi there. I'm actually texting, but that's just pretty good. <laughs> I'm, I'm texting uh, with the uh, computer there. Uh, and across the table, we've got one of the newer members of our Audio Nowcast family, Nick Peck. Nick. Hello, Mike. How are you? It's good. good to be back. <laughs> this is show number two as a panel member, yeah, Nick. That's right. And uh, joining us all the way from uh, Austin, Texas, the one and only Iron Man of the Audio Nowcast, Rob Arbiter. Hello, everyone from beautiful, sunny, if it was light outside Austin. (laughs) And today we are honored to have with us as our special guest, um, a friend of Nick and a really great guy. And uh, later on, I'm going to post a link to his website. Randy Coppinger. Randy, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's nice to be here. Randy um, has worked over at Disney recording. Um, well, why don't you tell us a little about what you've done? Sure. My specialty kind of became voice over the years. Um, I originally worked in radio and thought that I you know, wanted to win Grammys, but I started working on cartoons and just was having a ball. And uh, that kind of morphed eventually into um, working on games. And so what I'm doing now is mostly uh, dialogue for games. But I've been able to record Mickey, Minnie, Donald, Goofy, and a cast of other silly characters. And it's, we have a lot of fun. Yeah, and How's Goofy live? He's fantastic. Maybe yeah. he is. <laughs> Deep voice, huh? Yes, yeah. absolutely. And it, Bill, who does the voice, is, I mean, he's hilarious. He can do ADR without a preview. I mean, wow. he just yeah, he blows me away. It's like he's like some guys can divine water. Yeah. he can just hit marks. It's unbelievable. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, we're gonna we're gonna visit with Randy on the second half. Actually, he'll be chiming in on the first half too. But um, finding out more because if you go to his website, you see what he's done, and you read some of the stuff that you've posted about microphones and mic placement and things like that, and recording the voice. That you know, we're gonna get into that because that's really cool. Um, but uh, right off the bat, first of all, this is show 139. 139. That's pretty awesome. 139 shows. We still have seven listeners, but we have 139 shows. <laughs> um, but uh, I want to talk a little bit about AES. Um, I was at AES. Uh, was anybody else? I know you were at yeah, AES. Yeah, yeah. That was fun. Um, I was not. No, no. I couldn't make it this time. It made me sad. It was the first AES I've missed in forever. <laughs> AES this year was actually it was pretty cool. Uh, actually, um, there seemed to be a really good upbeat vibe. Um, some of the past AESs that that I've been to, it's all been about doom and gloom, and it's all been about you know how are we going to make money and things like that. But I thought this one had a very upbeat kind of a vibe. There still was. You can tell that the industry obviously is not where it once was. It's not like you went out and you saw a gazillion different desks and things like that like you could be you know, years ago. Um, and there weren't – it didn't seem like there were any more booths. It was about a normal AES size. But, um, but I think the energy was really positive. Even some of the bigger companies that had smaller booths, they were still um, pretty energetic and everything was really good. Um, 
What did you think, Randy? What did you think? I know you were there. Yeah, I had read that it was one of the uh, most heavily attended in five years, that they're on an upswing in terms of attendance. And you could feel the energy with more people there. Um, I'm always surprised that there are new things to introduce in audio. And so there were some really fun products. I heard some great presentations. And New York's a fun city to be in. So yep. hanging out with a bunch of audio guys in New York sounds like a party to me. Why don't you, um, just really quick, uh, what, what? give me one or two things that kind of snuck out that you thought were like really kind of awesome over at AES. Well, product-wise, um, the Triad Orbits, Mic stands were pretty amazing. Um, they've got these ratcheting uh, bases, so it's a tripod, and they ratchet in four positions. So if you wanted to hop one up a little bit higher or do an angle, even before you have a boom on the thing, you can get them in nice and tight. They were very solid, very heavy. Um, there's a foot release on it, so you don't even have to bend over to let the ratchet out. And then probably I think the highlight of the product is the fact that instead of having just a plate for a clutch, you have a ball and socket joint. And so once you set that thing down, your boom can go any direction you want. And I was real impressed with the flexibility on that. I'm, I'm wondering, I don't think it would hold a 44. Um, it seemed like, you know, the kind of thing for detail work. But um, they had one boom that was split. And so you could do on one stand, two mic stereo, like for overheads on drums, for piano. You could do over and under snare. Um, it seemed like it had a lot of really cool possibilities and just made miking Simple and easy. The other thing, I think the plug-in that was the talk of the show, I heard a lot of people talking about Surfer EQ. Yes, that's that's actually one of mine. That was That's phenomenal. Yeah, so, you know, normally you think pitch detection and you go, okay, well, that's for pitch correction. But they said, let's use it for EQ. So, you know, it can track the fundamental of your bass and you can set a roll-off, uh, a high-pass filter, and it'll chase it. So, you know, if you set it at 50 and the guy plays an open E, it'll pull down and open up for it. And uh, it was really impressive. It did a lot of other tricks, but just that idea alone I thought was such an elegant implementation of that. Did you hear it? I did, yes. yeah. I mean, it was on the showroom floor. On the floor. show floor. So yeah. that's always but, like, I mean, he, once he got the threshold set, and obviously it's a demo, so, you know, he's got something on, that on base? he knows works. It was a track. It wasn't, they yeah. weren't playing live. Um, but it was really impressive. He had a, a parametric chasing a whistle. So it wasn't something that was, I mean, you know, the bass could be tuned or pitch corrected, you never know, but this guy was whistling and there wasn't any correction on it and uh, it was tracking stuff. I mean, you could, it would show the note and it would be in between, he would slide and the thing just followed it very elegantly. What was really brilliant about it too is you could track the fundamental, but you can also track a harmonic. So for sound design, yeah, you could mm. do some really cool things tracking the harmonic of a sound. Mm. And that that so do, was amazing. Do you, so do you create one? You do you use a source and apply it to? It, you apply it just like a regular EQ, right? Yep. Except you tell it instead of speaking like instead of chasing like five K, right? If you were like let's say at an auto EQ that would chase five K, uh-huh. you tell it to chase the fundamental of the note, and it'll chase that note. Interesting. It was really cool. It's been around for a bit. Um, I had just heard about it, and then I went and did a little research, and it's actually you know been around since um, 2012. Um, they had a little bit of problems from what I gathered at the beginning, but mm. it's now pretty rock solid. Um, nothing but really great reviews, and and when you hear it, it's it, you know right when you think. How, how does it work with it? non-fundamental type of sounds? You know well, it has a threshold. Like dialogue. Yeah. yeah, well, it, it tracks a pitch, and it'll be the lowest one, so it finds the fundamental, and then from there, there's a. The middle band can do all the harmonic stuff, so it'll pile up. So if you're 
if your voice happens to be at you know 150, then it'll go 300, 600, all, sure. the, all the way up. And what so what he was doing on bass in the demo was it was tracking the low note, and then when he boosted it, you just heard more tone. So it was like a true broad spectrum frequency tone boost. And when he pulled it back, instead, you could hear pick noise and slap and all the performance gesture stuff instead of tone because he was sucking the tone out by turning it down. Yeah. And it was full spectrum. It, it reminded me of like keeping something in focus, right? Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. like if you were if you were tracking something, it would it would stay in focus. You know, right. sometimes you have your bass and you, you're EQing and let's say you're pumping, you know, 125 or something, you know, and he moves up or they move down and it doesn't follow with you. Um, you know, you with with the Surfer EQ, it it keeps it in focus, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's and and you get to decide whether you're you're boosting or cutting. So I think that's the flexibility. But yeah, Scott, the first thing I thought was. Put this in the hands of a sound designer. This thing's just we're going to have a blast with this because it's intended for music. Mm. But but I how think much I, I, I just, and do they have an RTAS or just an AAX implementation? No, they had uh, VST, they had AU, and they had AAX. So they're they're up and running. Nice. Yeah. And I'll tell you how it's, it wasn't that much. It was four forty nine. I thought mm. it seemed like it was in that typical five hundred range. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So here's a question I've got, which is sort of sideways question. What do you guys like to use in Pro Tools? It's one ninety nine. That is an A one ninety nine. Wow. That is an AU That's converter. Amazing. Operators are standing by. <laughs> is, is, it, is it AU converter? In other words, you want to run AU plugins in a Pro Tools. I do it in Logic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's called Logic. I mean, I know some people use it in Vienna Pro and and different things. I know VST. There's a lot, yeah, but not AU. Yeah, that yeah. we'll have to check that out. That's um, a good question. Because that would be something. So put, put that to the listeners. We'll put that out there. If anybody knows, send us an email. And yeah. love to, Scott would love to know. Scott is dying to know. We'd like to know also. Is it visual? <laughs> is it also another one? Um, one ninety nine though for Surfer EQ. One ninety nine. That is nothing. I mean, that's relative to yeah. what it can do. That was really good. Anything else that? that well, they um, had another plug-in called Auto Align. Yep. Which I thought was pretty interesting. It was using the pitch tracking so that it would know sort of which wavelength to look at. So like let's say you're lining up your overheads and your spot on your snare. Um, Normally you just look at the transient. But this thing would look at the fundamental as well so that it's thinking about the larger phase relationships, not just the front edge. And was making an adjustment on it after like two or three hits it had it locked. And the cool thing about it was it would give you a report and tell you what the offset was. So if you didn't want to use it, you could just nudge your track and be done, or you could keep it running. Right. So does it do the auto alignment for it, or does it just tell you? No, it changes the delay for you. Right. So it sets it up, and then you can either keep using it, or you can just write down the number, nudge your track, and you're done. Right. Which I thought was nice. Yeah. Like no, that. that that was pretty good. And just so you guys know, if you want to know what company um, that we're talking about, this is um, Sound Radix. Yeah. Uh, they they're coming out with some really cool stuff. They have a bunch of other things, but those are the two. That I saw a demo of, that I just exactly. thought were were fantastic. Anything else that you want to kind of want to give a shout out to? Well, I did hear a presentation from a guy from Sony, and they have set loudness standards for game audio for PS3, PS4, and I know the industry's been clamoring for that for a long time. And it was nice to finally hear them like step up to the plate and say, "This is what we're doing." What what have they? Because I've seen, you know, everybody's got their own standards. Yeah. What were their standards? Do you they remember? were minus twenty four LUFS plus minus or mi- tw- okay, okay. minus twenty four yep. plus or minus two, so a wider range. Right. It's full program, so there's no isolated dialogue stuff. Right. 
And um, the interesting part to me was that's Comspec. I'm sorry. No, yeah. I mean, it's it, they're falling in line with everyone else. Yeah. Um, yeah. But what was interesting was they said minus twenty loudness range. So their LRA is minus twenty, which is the living room. Uh, loudness recommendation. And so they're not just concerned with how loud it is, but also how soft it is. So they're managing overall dynamic range, which and I what, thought was an what interesting What are they recommending idea. to align uh, rooms at? To they, did, room? they weren't specific about what the end user was going to use. That's just what the box is going to kick out. Got and it. it's a recommended practice. It's not like if somebody develops for the platform and they're off, they're going to kick them out. It's a recommended... Is that similar to Blu-ray and DVD? In line? Well... There is no Blu-ray and DVD standard per se. I mean, yeah, sometimes when we're doing stuff, it's as, as loud as you know you want to go. It's not like right. um, broadcast spec, which is the Call Mac, which is right. Where really zero similar. VU equals minus twenty. Yeah, I mean, minus. I've seen some ridiculously loud stuff, and then I've seen some really you know quiet stuff too. So it's still kind of a wild west out there. But I think everybody will fall in line. It seems like everybody's kind of adopting that minus twenty-four. And plus or minus two. Because I know like in mixing, you know, film obviously goes to 85, TVs 80 to 82 dB. And I'm seeing games going down to 78 to 76. Really? Yes. Which means you just but, get less headroom. Yeah. yeah. Although films, though, I mean, there's the, the whole film thing. Film has too much. Fi- yeah, exactly. TV. Fi- well, and film in general, there's this, um, you know, they're getting louder and bigger and bigger. And you've got the... The theater owners that are actually turning stuff down, not playing them. Well, they just turn it down because the theaters are crap, and you can hear one movie in in the other theater. And well, people complain too. I mean, I like it loud and proud, but it's like there's, it's gonna. Everybody's gonna. Have we done one of the loud movies this year? Some (laughs) movies need to be need to be. You know what? But you, and with Atmos, but you, you had forty-eight speakers going off at once. But you know what? I will say in in you know defense of you. your music, I mean, your mix, it was loud, but it wasn't obnoxious. It yeah. wasn't obnoxiously loud. It, it you, doesn't start loud and end loud. You weren't <laughs> hitting everybody at like, you know, 3K right between their eyeballs, yeah. you know, yeah. going just, 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 uh, you know, yeah. that the really those frequencies that, that kill you. Anyhow. I've certainly found that on the iPad or on mobile platforms, you know, every time I take film mixes and film clips and those kinds of things and bring them up, you know, I have to jam stuff up 12 dB. You know, it, it goes up quite a bit. Well, um, you know, it's funny because I know that there are a couple companies that are starting to create mastering for mm-hmm. mobile entertainment. Sure. Well, because it, it's different. It is different. But yeah. the, the, what's interesting with the iPad is it's actually the loudest stuff that I record and send out is actually for the iPad because yeah. what happens is if I if I send it out broadcast, the first thing the client says is it's it's too low, it's too low, yeah. it's too quiet, and right. you jam. And you same know. same so, thing with the gaming people. If yeah. I do it yeah. at, at film standards, yeah. they're like, we play the game, it's big, we get to your cinematic, and it just drops. Yeah, yeah. you have to you have to bring that stuff up quite a bit. Yeah. You have to you have to be really judicious with compression. But the problem is that you, remember, you lose headroom. Yeah, you absolutely. yeah, but that well, yes, and but uh, you're playing something out of a teeny tiny little speaker. There is the no headroom. I mean, yeah, there is. No, it's all gaming. Everything, so, everything yeah. I do for it is like flat. I mean, I squish the bejeebies out of the VO. Of course, I'm running an L3, and it's like at you know minus three, and I send it out loud and proud, and 
programmers can pull back a little bit if they need to, but if I don't, if we don't send it out like that, you get the comment from the client. It's it's not loud enough. Well, I try to. Go ahead. Sorry, Randy. I was just going to say I try to keep as much dynamic range as I possibly can, but it's just not. Yeah. It doesn't have the same level of sophistication yeah. that you can have with a film mix, well, and there's nothing below 150. Well, that's, a, out of that's the, the key part. Is that problem. once you start in the low end, you need a yeah. lot of volume. Yeah. You need yeah. a lot of yeah. space. Yeah. 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 So if you're hitting subs. Or the late, the big thing is people don't want to depend on the sub. They want to depend on the speaker. Yep. So they get the low end. So what are they doing? Cranking it like crazy to get that pop, that low end, you know, rumble out of a main speaker that's a six inch. Yep. You know. Hey, Rob, have you uh, worked on anything for uh, tablets in your dealings with Google amongst the other people that you've dealt with? Yeah. And I mean, we usually end up mastering this stuff similar to how we would master an mp3 of a music mix you know they want everything to be that kind of ultra loud squished sound because it's pleasing out of computer speakers it really is <laughs> i hate to admit it but it is and and yep. so we're usually i mean i tend not to make my mp3s quite as smashed as as other people do but um we're usually thinking like that more if it's a if it's going to be a mobile title we're usually thinking more like a like an album release would sound so dynamic range is not not really a big deal to these clients. It's is it louder than uh, than everything else? Which, which I always think is hilarious because everyone goes, "Is it louder?" Yeah. Well, but the moment you own a volume knob, yeah, it becomes irrelevant. <laughs> that's yeah. true. Because you're going to make it louder. What they can do, they're going to turn it down. Yeah. yeah. No, that's true. So it just turns splatty. Well, hey, listen. Um, I'm going to bring it back to AES really quick because I want to talk about a couple things and then we'll continue along this line on the second half. Um, but um, that's great. The couple of things that you talked about. Cool. Um, and also, if you go to Randy's um, uh, website, which we'll put a link in um, in the in the show notes, then uh, he he did a really you did a great roundup of all the different sources and uh, all the different uh, AES roundups, and um, can read about, about a lot of the uh, products that are there. Um, two you. things that I want to talk about really quick because we already talked about Surfer EQ <laughs> is one of the best things that I saw there is. Um, from uh, Chaotica is the eyeball. And what that is, is it's this little sphere that you stick on your microphone and it's... Def- That's not the way you were motioning it. <laughs> it's this, this little, you know, the uh, reflection, you know how they have those the reflection um, The reflection screens. filters, like exactly. SE Electronics. Well, this is actually, think of like a round ball that you actually stick on the whole on the whole the whole microphone, right? And so your microphone goes in the middle of it and then it has this little cavern that's in it's so it's inside this little cavern plus a pop filter and it literally takes the whole room out of your microphone. Okay, and, now let me ask you a question though. Oh, oh, did you hear it? Yeah, I did. What did you hear? I heard the microphone and I heard it they had a really great demo. Okay, but it was a video, a, right? Right. Have you heard it live? No, I haven't heard it live. I haven't either. <laughs> How big is it? But the demo, it's about it's about the size, about maybe six inches, maybe, maybe eight. It's but direction it's directional. But the thing do, is, you know. is it's two hundred dollars. It the in the demo that they ran totally took out this really highly reflective um, room. They put this thing on it, the guy sang into it, totally took it out. It's dead, as dead as can be. So it's not it's not a colored sound, it's actually just a Dead sound. But the part of if the room is but, live, though, it's going to capture the front reflections at least. And you could hear a little bit of the front. Yeah, but hear. it's. But the thing is, is it takes enough of your like 
if you have a bad room, yeah. it's a just really cheap, inexpensive way to get a dead recording. And I would rather have a dead recording that I could kind of goose up on my own than having a bunch of room that you don't want. Okay, now do I you can recall? make it for twenty five bucks. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. probably you probably can. And and it's it's I just thought it was really cool. And for a lot of home guys out there, it's it's going to be a a really quick and easy way for them to get a better recording of whatever they're recording. I had two thoughts. One was. I could totally DIY that, mm-hmm. which I might. The other was the reverb in the demo has no bass in it. <laughs> and that's the hard stuff to kill. Now, the concept is that the ball will catch some of your voice as it leaves. So before it ever hits the room, right. a whole bunch of it's getting absorbed. And I think that's part of the concept and, and probably why it's as effective as it is. But I'd love to, I mean, most rooms have higher bass tilt. Then they do reflections in the bathroom. But for it to for it to really catch your, your voice, it would have to be like the cone of silence from from Get Smart. It would have to be a lot. Of <laughs> yes, but having heard it and having seen where it could be, a lot of look at there's a lot of home studios. I've listened to a ton of recording where you hear really, you really bad room, and it's like something like this. I think it's going to help a lot of people out. You know, now is it going to handle? Is it going to take care of all your? Sonic needs? No, it's not. But is it going to make you better if you have a bad room? Then and is it made for large diaphragms or like pencil it, mics? It's or? made for. They had a TLM one hundred three in there. So okay. if you think of what a TLM one hundred three, it's it's great. It's a great look at, for a lot of our audience that listens to this. Um, a lot of the home recorder. Um, this is a really good thing. They need to check it out. You can go on their website. We'll probably even put a link, but look for the Chaotica um, eyeball, and you can read about it. And it's it's pretty good. Their demo is pretty good. Is it going to solve all your problems? No. Is it going to solve a lot of them? Yeah. On on my uh, production blog about a month ago, there was actually a version of D. Uh, DIY version of how to make something like that, which was just like a plastic carry case. You turn it over, and you cut a hole out in the bottom that you can put the microphone, and you line it with uh, something soft. And guess what? You have the same thing. Yeah. Mm. No, it's true. Only it's bigger, so it actually works better. So it's not trying to do like some fancy phase cancellation or no, anything like that. It's, it's literally just foam around the ball of foam. Big okay. ball of foam muffling, and, okay. and it's, it's <laughs> like I'm probably going to get one. I'm probably going to use it here and see what it sounds like because I am curious enough that I'm like, you know what? Yeah. I, I'm going to get one of these things because I think uh, if it works as good as the demo, then it's uh, it's. You a just want to sound different from the rest of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, he does. But, He's got his fancy no, no, bottle no. mic. But don't there. be surprised if you show if you show up one day. There's a bunch of eyeballs and all the microphones. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have to flip yours in order for it to stay. That's true. It, it's gravity. Um, and then the other thing I want to talk about is. Uh, from uh, from our sponsor, um, API came out with a fantastic, fantastic console. Um, it's called the Box from API, and just so you guys know, is API, it a console? Is it, it, it is a baby console. It is absolutely a console. You can work in it, and and that's there's a lot of misunderstandings about what the Box is. Um, but now I'll tell you really quick. First of all, the Box is four input channels. Two of them have the 550A EQ. 
and then two of them have open 500 slots so that you can put your own 500 module of your choice. It also has on the input, it has two 527 compressors that you can assign to any of those channels so that you can have EQ compression, basically a channel strip on the way in. What's the mic amp? Is it a 312? It's, it's the 212. It's based 212. on the, the 212. Um, so you have the API mic pre, you've got their EQ, and you've got the compressor. You've got four channels. That can used in your modern workflow where a lot of people don't need more than four channels. A lot of people mm. can get so by kind of like a lunchbox with a four channel lunchbox. Um, well, mm. no, because it's, it's more than that. It does so, you get, so you get the four channels that go into it. Then um, you can go channels. into you hold on, you go into your Pro Tools rig, right, on your input. You, you mix, you do whatever you want to do. You, you mix your thing. Then you can stem out. You take 16 inputs. It has 16 inputs mm-hmm. on the input side for summing, all right? Oh, okay. So not only do you have the 16 so inputs. 16 oh, by there two, you go. Well, but you also can also, each one of those, each one of those 16 inputs has either um, two mono aux ends and one stereo aux end. Um, so you can do that, and you can bring your auxes back on your input channels over here, or you can use all your input channels over here and have a total of 20 inputs on your Are they, are they 16 monos or um, 16 stereo inputs? 16 monos. This is 16 channels. Okay. So the cool thing about that is you can sum on the input side. It has faders, so wow. if you want to use faders. But the really brilliant thing about that is if you, it also has a zero um, zero. Uh, VU button where basically if you hit if you zero everything out you're basically getting unity back in so you don't have to worry about the faders and where they are and where they were so you can do that also <clears throat> once you send that to the program bus the two compressors that you had that you used on the input you can now link them together and use those as a stereo bus compressor which is really similar to the 2500 so it has a built-in 2500 that can use a stereo bus compressor it has a talk back in it as well as um, your speaker selections i mean it basically has a center um, center section of, uh, well, of what, what, what is the what are they it's asking? 18 grand here 18, on the... yeah for less than for 18 grand when you and that's that's a pretty sweet price point when you figure that first of all there's 42 you know, twenty five twenties in this thing. Eighteen transformers. It's all analog. It's it's the real deal. It really is. I actually um, went out the weekend before AES to um, uh, Ben's place studio over in Nashville. And uh, first of all, I got to give a shout out to the guys and gals over at Ben's Place Studio. That used to be RCA Studio A. Oh, wow. Oh, that's um, awesome, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, and, yeah. and you know, Ben Folds saved that place. He really did, because they were going to turn that into um, office office space. Yeah, I remember It's right next that. to Studio, RCA Studio B, which is kind of like a, a museum type of thing. But Studio A, he went in there, he, he bought it, and... Uh, Brought it back to life, and it is such an awesome room. It is such an awesome space, and um, I got to give a, a, a shout out to Sorrel, who is the uh, assistant engineer. She was awesome. The whole place was great. We were there with uh, Sunny Landreth and um, did a whole tracking um, session on the box because uh, it's on the API website as um, as to how they we use the box to track Sunny Landreth, and it was pretty cool. We did drums, everything: drums, bass, guitar, the whole shebang. Nice. Um, but yeah, that studio was great. And uh, on the Facebook and on Twitter, I posted some pictures. Um, one of the best pictures that I posted was if you walk outside Studio A and you look over um, 
right there is Studio B, and there's this ladder that goes up, and it goes up to the reverb chamber mm. of Studio B. That's Elvis used to hang out in that chamber. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> uh, uh, it was it was pretty fun, but it's just a you know those. Nashville is such a the history in Nashville and the studios in Nashville. It's 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 phenomenal, and I'm so glad that Ben um, saved that place because it has such great history. You know, they did everything from you know Dolly Parton and you know Shania Twain uh, in the '90s did all her stuff there, and it was just it's just a great. It's great that there's still studios like that. Anyhow, um, so we we did the demo for the box there, um, but I really wanted to say that you know the box. It's a really great. Anchor piece for a studio. Um, Can't you use the word anchor? Just joking. <laughs> <laughs> no, it really is. It's it's something that the cool thing about when you buy high end analog gear is you know what it's you know you don't have to worry about doing software updates and having to pay for your gear. No, and, you'll use that you know, thing forever. You'll use it forever, and and your digital technology will change, and your input and your output yeah. and whatever software you're going to use. But your your little anchor here that's that's gonna that's gonna be um, a focus. For your studio for a long time, and it's only going to sound better as it bakes a little longer and the electronics get a little warmer and things like that. And and I, that's what I was really impressed with. They just thought it out. It was a great product, um, especially incorporating analog in a in a digital world. Absolutely, you know? I think that you know the, the days of the big analog consoles are definitely being challenged. Right, and I think that finding ways of capturing color or lack of, you know, API. I mean, API has always been super clean, and I think that's what's been happening with the resurgence of the 500 series modules and and a lot of the mic pre's. And I think that it's interesting how analog is finding its place within a digital world. Hey Mike, two questions about it. Yeah. Um, is there number one is is there any expandability for it, or is that it? No, that's <clears throat> that's it. It uh-huh. is it is what it is. It's those four channels. I mean, obviously, if you needed more than four channels. Let's say you had a, you know, your interface could take eight more channels. There's no reason why you couldn't get, you know, a thirty-one twenty-four or something yeah. else for your input. Um, there's two, two slots, two two five hundred slots too. Yeah, right? there's yeah. there's two five hundred slots, but that's post mic pre, so it's they would be yeah. for like EQs or compressors. And, and how many like buses that. are there? Did you say? Well, there's, there's a stereo bus. There's yeah, it's but, basically a stereo bus. I mean, that's basically okay, it. So it's a, it's a t- so it goes four. So then you go two? 16, and then you come out two. Yeah. There's, there's different of them. You just do different sends and different sources and things like that. But what, And what's the price point on a, on a 1608? Do you remember? Well, a 1608 are like 50. Okay, so there's this very significant step up if you want to jump up to the right. next level. Right, it's, it's, it's exactly. And, and I think for a lot of people, the 1608 might be a little much for them because mm-hmm. if you're not tracking a ton of inputs – then yeah. that might be a little much, and I think a lot of people are going to find. And they're already they're they're selling a good number of these already. Even at the show, people were like, "Holy smokes!" Because people get it now. You'll go online and you'll see people that won't get it, and you'll see a lot of <laughs> "I don't get it," you know, things like that. But you know, if you don't get it, you don't need it, and you'll never get it anyhow. <laughs> but if you get it, if you know where high quality analog will come then you'll see why this makes a lot of sense. And not only that, but mark my words, you're going to see this form factor come out from other analog consoles because it, it just makes so much sense in the whole workflow. And um, you know, API 
like I said, they're our sponsor, and um, I'm True Blue, but definitely I can see other manufacturers copying that uh, that form factor. But it's you know once again it's great just to see um, analog um, coming back, and there was a gazillion five hundred you know yeah. series modules. I mean, it seems like everybody is making something. Anything on the microphones and at AES? Shops their microphone. The um, yeah the uh, yeah the uh, Sheps Shops Shops. Shops. You know me. I butcher names Shoops. left and right. Shoops. They had this great microphone. It was the oh, Randy. You must know, being the chef's nerd of all time. You know, I was just focused on their what is it, hypocardioid, because it's hypocardioid. Yeah, yeah, for like stereo work for for spatial stuff, multi-channel. Um, I went to a presentation that Michael Williams gave. And it's just across the frequency spectrum, it's just even front to back. That's one of the few directional microphones that does that because normally you get sort of a blossom in the low end. Um, But this thing, you know, it was a subcardioid basically. They call it hypocardioid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, it just sounded. uh, Somebody else does that. Sure does that. Has has a, a new mic that does that too, I think. I didn't see that one. It's a dual, a dual capsule. Does regular cardioid and subcardioid? Oh, so that's yeah. interesting. And then what's defined as subcardioid? It's, it's mostly o- mostly omni. Yeah. It's, oh, okay. It's close to omni. The Sheps mic that I was talking about was the V4U. But let me tell you, what's cool about that is Sheps has this really great technology, and where they have a small diaphragm that can sound like a big diaphragm microphone. It has a little bit of the of the beef that you would get from like a 47. Um, and that was one of the big selling points about that particular microphone. Oh, it's a lollipop. Yeah, right. I saw right. that. Yeah, right. you with know a grill I'm... over it. Yes. It looks really retro, very yeah. cool. It's yeah. a cool mic, and then I heard it, and it, it does. It has a very like hmm. weighted sound about it. And the coolest thing about it is, is it's a lollipop, but then the lollipop is... Um, Adjustable, so you can adjust the angle of the actual capsule on the uh, on top of the microphone, which just made it really. Handy. So you could use it for like close micing of a drum yeah, kit or something like some that, really where you need interesting... to get something into a tight space. Yeah, and it sounds great. And the technology, and and he was explaining it to me. It's like you know we have this new diaphragm, and it showed it and has this electronic thing around it, and basically it emulates a bigger diaphragm and a smaller smaller capsule. Well, doesn't the like AT fifty forty, the new one with the four small diaphragms? The, the square shape, the square shape like, one doesn't that kind of do the same thing? I mean, it, it's but which manufacturer? Uh, Audio Technica. Technica. It's, it looks like a window pane because it's yeah. four uh, rectangular. I demoed the thing earlier this year, and the thing that blew me away. I expected it to sound weird and comb filtery. Right. It was very coherent, but the transient response was crazy. Like yeah. it sounded more true and present, but it wasn't sizzly. It didn't have any hype. I mean, and it's not a cheap mic, but I just kept being blown away by how. Yeah, it's their it's their big flagship, the first five thousand series now. Fifty forty. Yeah. Fifty forty. But and it has you know it's got lots of surface area, so the output's huge on it, and they had that at the show, right? And then the last thing that I want to talk about um, before we take a break is was actually something that I I discovered on the way up to uh, Nashville, and that was. I went on a spending spree and I bought a ton of iPad apps because hmm. I was setting up the demo for the API booth and how we were going to demo our 500 series modules that they had there. And I thought, you know what? 
normally we'd have a laptop and we'd play something, and I wanted to do something different. And so I wanted to use the iPad for a demo. And we got together with Apogee, and they sent us the Quartet um, interface. And I had the iPad Mini hooked up to a Apogee Quartet interface, did multi-outs, because you can do like six outs on that. And can I tell you, I was so blown away by how usable and workable the iPad is for pro audio. The sound was amazing. If you get away from the you know iPad, the little headphone thing, use a really good interface like the, like the Apogee, I was blown away. Not only did it make, I used um, Aria, the uh, the software yeah. um, from uh, what's it, Machine Labs or something like Machine Wave Labs or whatever that. Anyhow, I used Aria. It was it was amazing. I was I was blown away at how great it sounded. And I picked up um, Cubasis and I picked up Thor and I had I already have a ton of uh, iPad apps. Anyhow, it was it's that's where the next. That's where the revolution is happening on that level. I mean, forget about the MacBook Pros and and the MacBook Airs. The iPad Air and the processing power that we're getting through the iPad and using stuff like AudioBus and built-in inner app audio sharing and things like that, that is by far going to be where the next revolution is. And that is exciting because the apps are not that expensive. When you can get a DAW... For fifty bucks, and you can buy plugins for twenty bucks. That to me is exciting. And these developers are making money, and they're doing some really cool things. Are you using it like a piece of outboard gear? Where you going? No, I'm using it. it? I'm using it as my DAW. I was using it as straight DAW with, by the way, picture. Yes, you can play picture back, and you can do really. Yes, and you can do, and you can do audio. I'll tell you what. We're going to take a break right now, and when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about this, and then um, we're going to visit with uh, with Randy, and we're also we're going to talk to Bobby here because we've got a ton of stuff that I want to pick your brain on, Bobby, since we haven't seen you. So we're going to take a break, and we'll uh, catch you on the other side. You're listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API and Westwave Audio. Have a question for the panel? Would you like to be a guest on the Audio Nowcast and live in the L.A. area? Email us at audio at nowcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back to the Audio Nowcast. And before the break... I was talking about how the next revolution is going to be on the iPad because it's amazing what you can do and if you have a good interface, how good it can sound. And and I'll tell you, things changed for me when I was prepping for AES and I didn't even have to open my laptop case. I My iPad is on the side and it's a mini and I just pulled it out and I'm prepping my tracks on a DAW for the show, it was just – for me, it was just – it was pretty amazing. It's like this is this is the future. I can see it going more and more. It, it, it reminded me of when laptops first started getting used for pro audio. You know, there was a time there where, you know, laptops had been around and nothing could happen. Then all of a sudden, you know, you get one or two little um, uh, interface cards that started sounding good. Boom. You know, you next thing you know, it, you had – um, 
you know, you were running sonar on a PC, and this is even before they had the Mac laptops. This is back in the Toshibas when they were just starting with the uh, the color screens and stuff like that. It was a luggable. Yeah, it wasn't I know. Even a <laughs> it was like way back then. But having said that, it, it kind of had it felt the same, although it was a little more elegant, and and things are a little bit more together. Um, and they're just now starting to talk. You got these iOS apps that are starting to talk and starting to share. They're still being held back by the, the processing power. But, you know, with the new iPad Air coming out with the, with the A7s, I think it's going to be pretty awesome in, in what you can do. But, um, Bobby, what do you think about that? What do you think about? I don't buy it. And I'll tell you why. Tell me why. The iPads are output devices. They're not input devices. They're really easy to see stuff and consume all sorts of media. They're difficult to work on as an input device. And until there are easy ways to do it, uh, it, it won't replace a laptop, I don't think, or it won't replace what we're used to. Here's my thought on it. So, a couple of things. So, it's interesting. What I see is a convergence where, um, you know, the, the MacBook Air and the iPad seem to be getting closer and closer together, right? So, the MacBook Airs, Apple has winnowed down a great deal of the interact, the, the connectivity within the thing, right? It doesn't even have an Ethernet connection anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, it seems like it to some degree is getting closer and closer to an iPad, whereas the iPads are getting more powerful with each generation. And if you get one of those covers for it that has a keyboard on it, right, a typing keyboard, not a MIDI keyboard, then you certainly have a better way to be able to enter data into it. What I, what I could see as being an, an an interesting application here just you know this is just my opinion is let's say that the processor gets powerful enough to be able to allow you to have multiple virtual instruments and plugins happening at the same time if there was enough connectivity where you could run ableton live say on your you know mac at home you get your set up together you get everything the way that you want it and then you put it onto your ipad and then you take the ipad with you to the gig and there's enough input connectivity to be there's enough there's enough control surface to be able to change sort of gross level stuff you know in an ableton well, or something like there that there you go that's to, that's the key word right. gross level because i got to tell you i have the hardest time on my ipad right now just hitting the right link and, yeah. and just try to input something i you can't do it quickly i can't do it quickly yeah. I, I, I well I, mean, I think you hit the the nail on the head though when you said you can't do it quickly Quickly, but I think there's a generation that will be able to do it quickly. No, no, this isn't a generational thing. I, I, I disagree with you. I think it's an interface thing. I think it's because the resolution of the screen and the resolution, the tactile resolution, right. I don't feel is there yet. What need. if you what if you had it connected up to you know a small keyboard like what were those old M Audio octave keyboards oh, forget, that had forget right that. so I mean, you had I've, a piano keyboard the, and a couple of faders and this knobs. one the, give you a, the Q Nexus which I'm holding huh. up right now this one is you know it can run off of your uh, off the power off the your iPad and well, it has, yeah, no, no, like I've got two things I've got an Air uh, an Air laptop and a an iPad I got several. Um, and I, then I said, oh, I could get a little keyboard for the iPad. And then I got one of the Logitechs, and I realized it's pretty much a Mac Air yeah, laptop. So at that point, so then I said, okay, well, that doesn't really make any sense. Because really what I wanted was a laptop. But then uh, my wife, I bought her a Lenovo 27-inch touchscreen. And what I see is that, that instead of it just being, quote, unquote, an iPad, I think the touch technology is going to be very interesting, whether it's 27 inches, whether it's 
10 inches, whether it's 7 inches. I think there's a lot of very interesting things that can be done. So before, you used to have a whole computer, you used to have a screen. Now you've got mobile screens. So the question is, what size screen do you need to accomplish what kind of task? Doesn't Rob have in- input on this? Uh, Rob, you, you have a lot of experience with touch screens, don't you? Yeah, you know what my favorite touch screen is? The, the QWERTY keyboard on a, on a uh, MacBook Pro. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I like the tactile feedback. I, I mean, I, I use all kinds of touch devices too. But uh, and I've even explored, you know, for Stevie, I've, I've explored uh, non-visual ways to use them, which there are, but it, it's very slow and cumbersome. But um, I think the best technology, the best tools, are the ones you can use without looking at them. And as soon as you get into all touch screeny stuff, you get away from that. If I'm in the studio and I'm being creative and I'm writing music, I want to be focusing on playing the keyboard or recording the instruments or whatever. I don't want to be always having to look on the screen at where I'm typing. I like knowing if I reach over to my big old-fashioned keyboard on one of my Pro Tools rigs, I know where the record key is. You know, we're on Cubase or whatever. I know where the record key is. I know where the loop key is. I like technology that you can use without looking at it. Well, you know, it's not like... Okay, it's not like we're just going to be working on the iPad itself. I'm saying that you're going to use that much like you use your laptop, and you're going to have peripherals attached to it. You're going to have like – Your computer is going to be a screen that you walk around with at whatever size you want. And if you need it bigger, you can always use AirPlay and send it to a giant HDMI screen of your choice. I mean, you know, I just think – But for the human interaction with the device – the touch screens of today just still aren't there. Yeah, I, I you know what, and I I think that's the equivalent of us of saying that the screens just weren't there years ago on laptops. I mean, it's just we're it's no, gonna weren't. it's gonna get better and it's gonna develop. But I think the revolution. I mean, I think it started, and I think I, I'd I, like I, to see, I think that's where it's gonna go. You're gonna see less and less on laptops. You're gonna see more and more on the iPad. Well, I'd like to see getting three to four iPads or screens or whatever you want to call them, which they have, and connect them all together, which you can. So put it all together, then have a keyboard, yep. then have different yeah. things. You so can, I can see VU, like, I love VU monitors. You can do it. I mean, yeah. VU metering on an iPad that is cooked up to a computer. So if they're all talking to each other, instead of having, you know, a couple Dell screens, I can have a couple Dell screens, I can have a couple iPads, I can have a, a little touch interface like a cast pad, I can have all these different things combined with knobs and faders which you can I mean they already have you know you can use WIS we can set up a jam session if everybody had a uh, uh, iPad right now where one person can just say start and everybody can play and everybody will be in sync I mean it's that there's that kind of of uh, um, integration between the iPads and the you know using AudioBus which is a software program for um, the iPad which allows you to pass audio um in and out of different programs in audio effects. I mean, they already have on the iPad dedicated reverbs that you just buy the reverb and that you would use AudioBus um, to send it to whatever program you want to use. So why would you want to do that? Done. Well, I know you can, because, but why? why? Well, because two things. Number one, it's inexpensive, and, and I think that's a really big thing when you can buy a, a reverb for ten bucks. You know. Ten bucks, right? We're used to spending. You know, we think. Yeah, but cues, are the same. No, I mean, it's no, like, I understand that, but you know, it's going to be a long time. This stuff is all intriguing and amazing, but it's going to be a long time before it's it's not just a toy. 
Because right now it really is a toy. I, you know what? For I, audio I production, so I so disagree. I think we're going to be having this conversation so a lot sooner than so you wait, think. So you can take like a twelve core or one of the new Macs and connect two or three iPads, and they're all talking to each other at the same time. Yes, you can. You can. Abs- no, but you're talking about not having the twelve core though. You're just talking about doing it with the iPad. No, no. I want. I want. I want my. I want them all to talk to each other. You want a render farm on the on the wastebasket? Well, I want to be able to. I want to be able to control things, which I know I can do with right now. Control things on my uh, iPad that's working on my Mac. But then I want sure. some meters. I want some. Yeah, yeah I, yeah. I mean, there's some really cool. Like we're talking about. Okay, how do we make this? Let's network a whole bunch because you know. Um, let's grab I don't know half a dozen of the damn things, and then all of a sudden they can do a lot of cool things. I can have a little video on one when I'm looking down. I can have a meter on another. Like, I can have a, a plug-in, you know, of really cool sounds. That it's all depending on who's going to make the apps. The apps are the apps there yet for metering? No, I don't know of any. Do you know of any? Uh, no. I don't. I don't know of but any. But is the technology there to link all these things together? Absolutely. That stuff is all coming with with the new iOS seven. There's more enhanced uh, connectivity between the iPads. Yeah, the abilities for iPads to know when other iPads are near them. That's right. I think for mobile gaming, it's going to be phenomenal. Think about it. We aren't going to lug around a bunch of computers, but let's say that everybody in this room loved playing a game together, League of Legends or something, and we could sit down at a coffee shop with each other, pull out our iPads, and we could be communicating and playing the game in real time. And we can build the wilderness because they're other. talking to each other non-network. Right. Yeah. Right, Which there's is, a lot of stuff like that. Yeah. I will say this: this, you know, I'm holding up my iPhone 4s. Everybody at this table has got an iPhone. Well, excuse me, Bobby. No, everyone does. Everyone has got an iPhone. My wife is not, you know, she's not a teenager. She's not, you know, an emerging market type of person. She has been using computers for her entire life. Her primary interface to the world now as far as digital is her phone she does not use our computer she sits there and looks at facebook on the phone and she browses the web on the phone and she does her email on the phone i think it's too small for me but i think there are a lot of people who have completely embraced this as their primary computing paradigm and the ipad is an extension and all i'm saying is i'm not saying that they're taking over the world tomorrow but it's going that direction. You you see a lot of the great um, development and a lot of really smart developers are heading for iOS. They're just they're not heading for Android. They're heading yeah. for iOS. Yeah. The, the business case is there, and the main reason why um, is because it's really easy to develop, and it's really really easy to be able to put your stuff up into the App Store, and it doesn't cost you anything. And they're making that. money. That's the yeah. that's yeah. the best thing about are it. Are they really? It, yes, they are making money. And here's are the thing: are they really? They're, I. I I, I want that proved to me that they're making money. I All know right. people are making lots All and right. lots of, of apps. I, I, I don't think they're making money. I can't. I can't. I can't give you a spreadsheet right now. <laughs> yeah. But they are making. They are making money. Be- and here's the thing: because the price point and the way the iOS universe works, um, it's cheap enough that people buy it. It's you know. I mean. Let's face it. You can. There's a whole other section where you can get into and and download uh, your software for free. But there's a lot of people that don't go that way, and there's a lot of people that buy software because the. I mean, when you can get like Thor, right? Thor, which is propeller heads, which is a really great soft synth. You know, it was in Reason, and now it's on iOS. It was like fifteen bucks, maybe ten bucks, and and it's a quality synth. 
when you can get that for that cheap of a price and use it with Cubases and use it with some of the other things that, that I have. But how it's many like, people are going to do that? There's a lot of people doing it because there's a lot of people you know, that are buying this stuff. And well, think about it this way. Why did sampling occur? Hank Shockley was saying on one of the panels at AES, he said, the reason I sampled is because I couldn't afford a drummer. And I think you're going to find a lot of people who are going to be willing to pay 20 bucks for an app to be able to do something in music, and they'll let that little tiny space be their limitation that, f- that fuels creativity. I'm looking at the business model of all this. Okay. And I, I, I don't disagree with you on any of those things. I don't disagree with any of you on, on this. It's just that making an app is a lot more uh, labor-intensive than you might think. There's a lot more costs that go into it to make it – and the marketing – because don't forget, there's so many people making apps. Four hundred seventy-five thousand apps in the in the iTunes well, store there, right now. There you go, yeah. and it's really hard to get your hand up a little higher than everybody else. So to make actually make money in the app business, I think is a really really difficult proposition, considering what the market is. And and, and this is just from you know little. Uh, look into the business that I've... I, you know, and I think you're right. There's definitely some challenges, but having said that, there's some great websites that, man, all you need to do is a press release and send them a demo and they'll they'll pop it up. Like, for instance, uh, Synthetopia, if you go to that website, I mean, yeah. you just click on their, I- their iOS little uh, tab that they have there on the, on the side and you'll just see Usually that's where I learn about a lot of the new cool stuff between that and like create digital music and things like that. You, you know, there's places that you can go to. They could be to surprised find to find out how much they're actually selling though, how little they're selling. I have, I have a friend and I cannot get into the app specifics at all, uh-huh. um, but he uh, made an extremely simple app for the, for the iPad and for the iPhone. He hired an Indian company to do the actual coding for it. They charged all of $1,500 to be able to do the coding of this thing. It is the simplest app possible, and it's free. And they've made five or six grand off of it so far, all through iAd. So it's a free download, and then what happens is they make money every time somebody touches a banner ad mm-hmm. inside of it. And that's one methodology for doing sort of a, you know, a, you know sort of down and dirty way to be able to make money. I mean, they're not making millions of dollars, but let's say that they've made $5,000 and they've done 20 of those apps like that. Yeah, so you, now you're talking about $25,000 investment. You've made over a hundred grand. You can't, the, you can't expect that to happen though. Out of, that's not the way business works. You make 20 grand, you make the, or 20 apps, you make the same thing out of these apps. Sure, sure. You have no. hits and you have, Missing. and you have flops. No, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah. you know, we're not talking about big, we're not talking about big numbers, but let's, okay. So let's go down a different road. Let's say that you do that and you've made 25 different apps, 24 of which are flops. And one of them is a hit. And yeah. that one, you know, allows you to be able to cover the development cost and then some of everything that you've done. Well, maybe perhaps, that's another maybe perhaps. that's another business and, way to And here's do this, here's something know. else that you have to think about, especially with iOS is it's not like people are just buying one app, right? I mean, their apps are cheap enough that it actually encourages you to buy more apps. Like I, you know, I can go on a spending spree and drop 200 bucks on iOS apps and get a ton of apps for that much money. I mean, a ton of apps that keep me content for a long time. And I think the you know the economics. You're not, you're not the normal buyer, though. I, I think there's a lot of guys like me. There's a there's lot, a lot of, but not a enough. Lot of, is what I'm saying. See, I, for I, again, vertical market stuff, for something like audio production, like yeah, what yeah. we're talking about. Now, again, I don't doubt that any of this is possible. That that you can have hits, you can make some money in this. But but once again, I don't think it's quite as easy as 
man, I can make this happen. It won't cost me anything. And, well, and look, look at what's you're, you're right. And look at all the buyers. Yeah, because you got to uh, and the uh, you got to yeah. have a good app. Well, we're well, it's it's going to be exciting, yeah. right? I don't know. I could be just blowing hot air, and we could have just wasted fifty minutes of people's <laughs> lives. <laughs> well, the other thing we haven't talked about though is in the middle, and this has been the thing that's frustrating for me. I know they're going to work it out, okay? Because, but like you were saying, Bobby, about content creation, I don't think the device is meant for it, and it's really iOS that I feel is the limitation yeah. because everything's walled off. And so, yeah. unless you buy an Explorer or you buy something that is sharing, you know, your song library, your iTunes library, the way you're passing files around, that was to me the most frustrating thing about trying to create something audio on device was being able to move it around. You can use Dropbox, I, I will, but it's can. still kludgy. Yeah, yeah, I would yeah. say that that's the that was the you're absolutely right. The the hardest, most frustrating part was actually getting the audio files into uh, into ARIA. Mm-hmm. Although they they let, they take AAFs, which was amazing. Um, so you know you can export you know from Final Cut and AAF, but they also um, Dropbox, and they also will decompress the file. If you put a compressed file into Dropbox and you slide it over, it'll uncompress it and give you all the files that you need. So there are workarounds that yes, it's seem, a workaround though. Right. That's my yeah. point. It's, like it's never going to be a mainstream production tool until that stuff is made right. as easy as it is on a computer. Right. Right. So once Apple puts a finder in, but you, you know, know what? Some even yeah. even if it's not, though, I'll tell you what. <laughs> even if it's not, it's not. You know, it's 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 not difficult. I mean, just save it to your Dropbox, and then you just import it into Dropbox. I mean, basically, it's just instead of saving it to your desktop or saving it to someplace else, it you put it in its own little directory, and then you can bring stuff in and out of there from your Dropbox. You know what? Though, as soon as you're relying on a third party for something as as Crucial. The core of what you're doing is file Fire. management. That's yeah. that means this is not thought out yet. No, I, I mean it's not the only way, obviously. But you're right. There's, that's that's a that's a I'm good just point. Saying, you know, I know a lot of producers doing a lot of high end projects, and a lot of them use iPads for content generation as part of their projects. But none of them are anywhere close to using it as the core of their project. Yes. They're still using Pro Tools. They're still using I, I totally solid agree. big stuff. I, I totally agree. I'm not going to give away my Pro Tools system. I'm not going away. I'm just saying, stand by. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Watch it yeah, as it develops. In a few years, I mean, remember, yeah. Pro Tools was the cheap, crappy toy during the Synclavier Fairlight days, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, it, so these just, things evolve, but it doesn't, it doesn't take a year. It takes years. Yeah. I think it'll... It's funny because the processing power is there with these new devices. It's not about processing power. Yeah. Right. I, I but you know, I, I think it, you know one thing I've noticed across the board, whether you know like uh, tablets aren't new, uh, telephones weren't new. One thing that Apple's done very well, and as as well as other companies, is what can they do to make your life easier, faster, more efficient? And that's really the key to coming up with a, a really cool product. If it's over for ninety nine cents, you could make a lot of money. If everyone said, "Well, everybody needs it," it's really easy to use. Yeah. And, 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 and not a big learning curve. Yeah. There's not a lot of interfaces. There's been years. I mean, I know Rob and I and Bobby, and we've been around long enough. I remember um, so many devices that, yeah, you had to learn the tricks and how to make them work. And, and, and sometimes included hex. And uh, you, you got around to, to figure it out. But now it's interesting. As I work, and maybe I'm getting spoiled, it's all got to come down to speed how easy is it? How I mean, I've been looking at a Kima for twenty years, and I keep thinking I gotta buy one. I gotta buy one. Then I look into it and I get into the code and I go, <laughs> "Oh crap!" 
Maybe I'll wait on it. No, you still got to buy one. You, <laughs> you know, you know. So I go back and forth with it, and and, and it's a very, um, it's a huge, cool device. But then you look at plugins and go, oh, I can figure out pl- plug in thirty seconds. But and hey, look, I got granular synthesis. You're um, right. You're right. I mean, there's a whole usability that you have to take into account of some of this stuff. I mean, like, and, like and for me, I can't live without my iPhone or my communication device. A Dropbox, massively cool. The questions we need to ask, or the, the, the manufacturers, is what can I create for you that's easy, that's quick, you can learn it in seconds. Yep. And all of a sudden, it's really powerful, it's intuitive, even music devices. Sequences are getting so crazy at some point that some guy goes, all I want to do is record my instrument and record some of the ideas I have on music. Yep. Hello, GarageBand. And yeah. that's there, and it's it ten is. bucks. Absolutely, I mean right. Wolfgang or said free that. On the yeah. Mac, Wolfgang you know. said that when he was creating was a Studio One. Yeah, when he created, he goes, "I just want something." Who created Nuendo and Cubase? Because yeah. I want to create a new sequencer. The guy just comes in, hits the guitar, hits the bass, hits the drum, and can actually start producing something creatively. Studio One's nice for what it is. It's pretty. It's, yeah, it's yeah. a very well thought out yeah. device. Yeah. And there's a lot of cool things that we do. Um, you know, that's. Uh, that's just that. Yeah. Hey, um, and I totally agree, and we'll have to keep our eyes on this, see where they're coming in. I want to get into something because we're running late on time, and you know what? We're going to talk about next Yeah, yeah, you, got, you have to get to Randy. Yeah. <laughs> but, and, and we're actually going to have to invite Randy back because we got a ton of stuff, and, and we, <laughs> that iPad thing took us out. Yeah. But I have to talk about this. Um, and then, uh, and Randy, come back to the next podcast, by the way. This Thank is your you. official invitation, Thank right? Because <laughs> we got way too much to talk about. Hey, iOS, uh, let's drop that. Let's go to Mavericks, all right? Mavericks mm. came out, free download, right? It's probably going to affect everybody here because I bet everybody has at least one or two Macs um, that they work on. Now, let me ask you a question, and I don't understand this. Why in the world were there so many audio companies that were just – well, that dropped the ball, basically. I mean, why is it that Avid didn't have a Pro Tools version that worked with Mavericks right off the bat? I they don't understand. Do. I, They're I, always I, three I months behind. And they weren't the only ones. There's some other problems with some of the other um, uh, of, uh, audio programs out there. But specifically... What is it that Maverick does that's unique to it? It doesn't... You know what? I don't know, other than it's free and, and the it's fact. It's new and it's free. Well, no. It's, but see, what that means is if it, it's Pretty free, shiny. it's new, everybody's going to download it because it is free. And what I don't understand is why didn't they have a version of 10 and a version of 11 that worked with it? Because they got, they got, you know, um, pre-release copies of it. You know, they, they got copies of Maverick. They probably had it for, you know, months. I, I don't understand why they weren't ready. I wonder if that's them. true, though, because, you know, they can very often spring stuff on developers and catch yeah. them off guard. I mean, we've seen it before. But Mavericks has been floating around the development co- communities because you've seen some of the posts and where they talk about even before it came out, top ten things that Maverick will do for you and all this other yeah, stuff. Yeah, but it's the like, beginning yeah. of the year I saw it. Yeah. yeah, but it's like locked picture. I mean, until it's locked, it's not locked. Yeah. But, but having said that, you know, the developers... The, the, the problem is, though, I also think, though, is... Speak, now I'm going to speak about, as a businessman for a second... They're going to spend a ton of money investing in something that doesn't help them sell anything any more than they have, only to find out there's bugs to it. So not only do they have to develop it for the first time, then they got to work around with all the frustrated users waiting to find out, is it an Apple bug? Is it an Avid bug? Sometimes it's better just to wait 
see how it plays out, because unless there's something new that Avid's going to show with Maverick, just for it to work on it doesn't get you anything. Oh. Go ahead. Well, the other thing is, I mean, Avid is often late with the operating, you know, following an operating system change. But the thing in, from Avid's perspective and a lot of companies' perspective is they really only need to follow it. I mean, it is true. They don't want to be chasing bugs in the early days of a new operating system. But they only need to follow it when their users can only buy computers with the new operating system because then, you know, if Avid's users can only buy computers with Mavericks on them, they better have a version of Pro Tools ready. And they've missed the boat on that with some other operating systems and it really hurt them. But, I mean, if you're a, if you're a musician or a sound designer and you upgrade the operating system of your computer because you think it's cool, before you find out that all the software you use right. is compatible, yeah. you've yeah. done a really stupid thing. No, that's, that's no. true. I mean... You know, I'm I'm pro upgrade, but I haven't upgraded any of my machines because of that fact. Absolutely know? not. I mean, take take one side machine that isn't for critical use if you have one, yeah. and update that to see what happens, or just do it on a separate hard drive. On the Mac, it's very easy to clone your system drive and try it on another cheap drive. Try Maverick, see if see if you like it. But the thing you'll find with Avid is by the time you can only buy a Mac with Mavericks, uh, and that's all you can get, and, and even because you can still buy a Mac with Mavericks now and put an older operating system on it. But eventually, the newer Macs won't work with any older operating system. At that point, you'll see Avid doing everything they can to have a version that works with Mavericks. I guarantee it. Same thing happened with a lot of the previous Mac operating systems. I mean, I think you also have a problem with a lot of Pro Tools users still have a nosebleed over 10 and 11. I hear so many people going, yeah, I want to go 11, but the plugins I have... They don't work in it. I have no desire to go to 11 right. until so I absolutely you, have to. 10.6.8 so and Pro Tools 10 are working fine. Exactly. I'm so, with you. so right now the Avid community is all up in arms to 10 or 11. Then it's now 10, 11 or Maverick and all of a sudden yeah. there's so many. What was great about the Mac compared to the PC is it always worked. Yeah. Now, all of a sudden, you've got so many balls in the air yeah. of potential things that don't work, and then Avid's got to chase it. I mean, are you in the business of creating content or messing around with equipment and wasting exactly. a bunch of time? Exactly. I don't even want to update Wait, 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 wait. Let me think about that. <laughs> okay. 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 Mike, Mike, Mike. You're both right. <laughs> Floor wax or dessert topping. There's, um, there's a part in Mike's brain that goes pretty shiny. Yeah. 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 I don't even want I to update get, our laptop I at home. When I, create, I only get paid when I create, I create content. content. My clients don't care how much I mess around with the gear. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't even want to update. Our, the thing that is compelling to me about Mavericks is evidently, um, even on older Macs, it is better as far as battery life and as far as optimization of power handling for laptops, right? That was at least what I had read. Someone correct me if I'm wrong. It's a lot faster. Yeah. I, I just did it this morning. And, and you it, did it, do it? It's snappier. Yeah, you can I don't, feel it on everything. It's snappier. I, but I don't even want to go update because if it breaks Minecraft, my son will cry for a week. <laughs> <laughs> Here, here's the thing. <laughs> As soon as I updated, there was a list of 14, 15 updates that went along with it of apps. Oh, good. Oh, really? Yes. And um, some of them were way different. And uh, and, and I got to say, the first time I looked at it, I, I scratched my head. It's like, okay, why isn't it working the way I expect it to? I eventually got it to you know work as I wanted it to, but... Uh, 
so far, I haven't found anything to be spectacular except for the fact that, you know, it is snappier. You can't feel it. And this was on a what, – what machine did you update? <coughs> MacBook Pro. Oh, so like an older one a couple of years no, old? No, about a year. Uh-huh. year and now. you were able to notice – significant yeah, yeah. you know the best thing about mavericks that i'm looking forward to when i upgrade is the fact that if you have more than one monitor and you full screen an app it only full screens on that monitor it doesn't full screen on that one and knock out your second monitor and to me that that's that's pretty awesome which is ridiculous that he can't do that right now but what can i tell you they're gonna upgrade for free well hey listen we're gonna have to uh wrap it up um Man, this this flew by really fast. Um, Randy, you're coming back to the next one because we got you. a lot more to talk about. Thank you. But before we go, um, I want to talk to Bobby because he has a brand new book out. And um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your new book there? Oh, social media promotion for musicians. It's all about uh, your social media presence uh, and actually your online presence and how to use it for promotion, and it's especially for musicians, engineers, producers, songwriters, anybody in the music business. And, uh, it, you know, it's kind of a, a how-to guidebook, a template, so to speak. 300 pages. It's a big book. It's a beefy book. I'm holding it right now. It's yeah. more fun, more time, more... Hey, can we give away one of these? Yeah, we should. Give away that one. It's can number we- one. This is, is number one. Is it really? Serial yeah. number 001. Oh, wow. Can we give away this one? Yeah. Number one. Number Mike one. goes, I, I, I want it. Though. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Can I enter? <laughs> right. Someone needs to be assigned to make sure Mike actually gives it away. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay, wait. We got to figure out... Um, we got to figure out a good way to give this away. This Caller is, number seven this right is, now. This is actually... This is a... This is a, a big deal. Number one of one of Bobby Osinski's books... Anybody have any ideas? How can we give this away? Usually when I give a clinic, I say, whoever is the first person to sign up to my mailing list. And then I look at the mailing list and see them all come in, and number one gets it because they're timestamps. So you easy. know what? The person who, who puts it on our website, why they like our podcast. There you go. The first one. The first it'll, one. There'll be timestamps. To say how. you got to put it in. Why and what you like about our podcast and what you, you know, first one to pop it on our Facebook. Okay, but then as soon as someone sees that goes up, we lose. Everybody will just like go away. Uh, that's true. No, I think random drawings better. Okay, the tenth part. No, you no. know what? <laughs> Here we go. This is what we're gonna do. We're gonna do a random drawing, and in order to enter, you need to pop on our Facebook page and tell us why you like the Audio Nowcast. There you go. And we're only gonna take entries from the Facebook page. There we go. And we'll do a random drawing, and if we pick your number, you will get. Number one, issue number one of Bobby Osinski's new book, and he will sign it for you. Social media promotion for musicians. Which, that is so generous of you, Bobby. Yeah. Thank you so much. I'm going to figure out how to get up. <laughs> we, should, we should say what the cutoff date is to enter into the, into the contest. It should be like the month of November 2013 or something. It's kind of hard because you don't know when this is going to yeah. go. <laughs> so Mike okay. says, uh, September 2013, if nobody does uh, it, then he gets the book. No, I'll tell you what. This will be up until. Don't bother entering after Thanksgiving holiday. Right, and it'll be a there Christmas gift. We're going to do a couple podcasts for this since this is such a great, great giveaway that uh, I will. Uh, we'll do a couple podcasts and we'll promote this. And um, it's and awesome. by the way, if you don't win, you can also buy it on Amazon, either the print or the uh, Kindle version. 
And let me just give it a plug. I've heard Bobby speak several times. He's been a, a big influence on me for using social media. I think he has a lot of really valuable things to say. I haven't read the book, but I've heard him give presentations. I know there's got to be some good stuff in there based on what he's, he's presented at AES in the past. Awesome. Thank you kindly. Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we're going to have to talk later because I've got 37 37- Twitter followers, and we need to make that grow. (laughs) All right. Well, hey, listen, guys, thank you so much. It was so great to just get back and talk and uh, just have a great time. And um, like I said, Randy, you're invited back to the next one because we got so much more to talk to you about. And um, why don't you you plug your website? Because it's really cool. Well, thank you. I I had a lot of friends who were not able to go since, uh, you know, I have so many friends here on the West Coast who were not able to go all the way to New York. So I thought I'd just do a quick roundup. So I asked everybody on Twitter, hey, send me your great links. Got some pretty good stuff. Put it together. It's R-A-N-D-Y-C-O-P-P-I-N-G-E-R.com. And the top article right now is the roundup for AES. And uh, so it has some of the things that, like notes I took in presentations, um, it has, there are tons of photos. There are about three photo streams. So if you want to just see what, you know, how many people there were, that's there. Um, there are a whole lot of gear links. Sonic Scoop actually did some really good coverage, and they're right there in New York. Um, Pro Audio Network and some other um, outlets that we like to troll, um, those folks showed up too. So there's some valuable links if you want to know about the show. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Um, I went to his website when uh, Nick sent me the link, and I just said, Wow, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> so, um, so before we uh, before we wrap it up, Nick, are you working on anything uh, you can talk about? Uh, I'm working on a new game that I can't talk about. I'm working on a bunch of Disney apps that I can't talk about. What I can talk about is it's almost Halloween, and I've been decorating a bunch of really cool Halloween stuff in front of my house. Uh, note to everyone out there. Tonic water, when hit with ultraviolet light, glows a lovely shade of blue. It's the quinine in there really? that really reacts to ultraviolet light. So throw a black light on tonic water next time. Oh, that's, 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 my, that's my big, uh, my that's, big announcement for this episode. That's good to know. So does cat urine. <laughs> wait. Which is what tonic water wait, wait, tastes I like. So. Tonic water, the, the cat urine. I, I don't want to know how you can tell the difference. I mean, what kind of test do you use? for that. Black light, actually. (laughs) (laughs) But they're both glowing. Don't drink that one! But, okay, anyhow. Um, How about you, Randy? You working on anything? I'm getting set to do... um, I was talking to people at the show, including... uh, If you guys know Recording Hacks, it's like this giant um, database of microphones, and I was talking to Matt about several uh, shootouts we want to do. One I want to do, I think for the audio community, particularly for film, is a shotgun shootout. I've never heard anyone really compare shotgun microphones, and it's something that sort of fascinates me on a technical level as well as aesthetic level, and so I'm trying to put that together. I think Matt's going to be a great resource. He always has been in getting uh, people involved in that. And I want to really go the spectrum. I want to do like the high-end stuff we all know. Right. We've got to have a 416 in there, but right. I want to hear the cheap ones. Yeah. I want to know yeah. how they yeah. stack up. No, and I, You know what? Especially some of the newer pencil shotguns yep. from uh from china that you just see an abundance of you know and um yeah i just bought a sony camera i just got a sony camera that has a uh shotgun microphone and it's it's pretty cool it was really good i mean it's what i basically i shot a lot of the sunny stuff 
um, on the, for API with, and it sounded great. So that's an awesome. That is, uh, you should you need to come back and tell us about that one. That I definitely too. will. I think it's it's on the horizon. You know, we're we're coming into the holiday season, so yeah. I don't know if I'm going to squeeze it in this year. But I definitely it's something I'm excited about. So you're going to talk about you know uh, sensitivity, roll off where things are. You where know, it comb filters, exactly. you know, because you start getting into that that line array from the side, and things start. I mean, I've heard it in, in ADR sessions where you get off to an angle and it just sounds terrible. Yeah, yeah. And uh, a lot of times I'll just avoid them. You know, I can use an MKH50 and get a 416 sound with the roll off and not have to mess with the interference tube at all. Really? But oh yeah, yeah. But uh, we should talk. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, no, it, and it's a great choice. It has a little higher output too. But uh, you know, uh, and, and it was something actually when when I was at Sound Deluxe when I was working with Scott, we did. We I, I wanted to hear the 415 versus the 416. Were you there when we did that little uh, shotgun? Little uh, AB, we did took four or five of them. I remember hearing that. I wasn't there for it, but right. uh, I consulted with the guys on staff because I wanted to, like, you know, glean the knowledge before I went into it. But I wanted to hear every once in a while on eBay, you'll see four fifteens, and I thought, what's the difference? And they're actually very similar, but it's the front vent. There are more openings in the four sixteen than the four fifteen, and the four fifteen is T power. Now you can get those converters over it. it. Used to be coffee. What are they called now? True. True audio, and they'll coffee, sell coffee change to true. I think yeah, yeah T R E W yeah, true audio. Yeah. And uh, if they still have them, they have some real cheap little converters that go um, forty eight to T power. And so you can turn a four fifteen into a four sixteen. Nearly, I mean, the high end response is slightly different. But man, if you see a four fifteen cheap on eBay, snap it up. If you, if you need a shotgun, it was very similar. And actually, if you go to my site, I have the shootout on there of wow. that one. So, That's cool. That is awesome, man. We got to talk. All right. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> hey, Rob, how about you out there in uh, Austin? Don't fall asleep yeah. on us, brother. No, I'm not falling asleep. Yeah, <laughs> things are pretty crazy. I actually have four projects going in four different cities right now, New York, Philly, Austin, and L.A. But I'm here in Austin now because I'm producing a band here, and it's going great. Uh, and uh, I'm hoping to be back in L.A. with you guys for the next one. I'm, I'm going to be back there in the next few days. Awesome. We miss you. And, and I did do a uh, a shotgun shootout actually with uh, Audio and Visual Design, the AID, the dealer mm. in LA. Yeah, and very interesting results. I mean, they did it from the perspective of the different uh, models they sell and the different manufacturers they sell. But uh, I'd be very curious to hear what you come up with because I want to hear yours. We were we were very surprised. We were also well, yeah. I won't even. Cloud the conversation. I'm, I'm just eager to hear what you come up with, and we'll compare notes. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Scott, how about you? You know, one thing I will say, <laughs> no, is uh, uh, a shout-out to, uh, we can talk about it more next time, Pueblo Micris. Mm. Uh, I've We've started playing with them a little bit, and it's a big wow. Mm. It, we're starting to go, like, noticeably different. It's like basically high-def TV. You look at low-def, high-def, and all of a sudden it's got more... Just it's nicer, brighter, but we're still go- putting it through its paces to really see, you know, if it's just something we want it to be or or if it really is. But so far, we're very impressed. Awesome. So what am I doing? Uh, I can't talk about a lot of it, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, we're busy, and and you know, I'm, I'm at Formosa now, Formosa Group, uh, Left Sound Lux, and uh, that's going great. And there's a whole bunch of us, and we've been building the company. We're very busy, and. Uh, and life's all good. That facility down near the uh, 10 and the 405 is lovely. <laughs> yes. The recording uh, we, we space. Call, we, yes. We call that the Formosa West. 
and um, uh, we've, we're probably up to, I don't know, 50 people already. Wow. And, That's uh, a very fast ramp up. Oh, it's massively fast. And, uh, and the clients have been with us, and you know, people ask us, how is it? And it's like, I don't know, because it's the same people, the same clients, a different space, and, uh, and we just did a name change. So other than that, it's all good, and, and we've got all fun toys, and um, I do a lot of building, a lot of building of studios. Nice. So, Well, keep us posted. Yep. Get all those iOS 7 and Mavericks machines working. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, told, we told Bo Johnston that he'll be able to sleep uh, next year. <laughs> yeah. Bobby O, well, you got your book? Oh, books. I, I've been busy. Uh, before this, the Recording Engineer's Handbook 3rd Edition came out. Nice. Wow. A couple of weeks ago. And before that, earlier, I guess in June, the Mixing Engineer's Handbook 3rd Edition came out. Wow. And pretty soon, um, Deconstructed Hits, Volumes 1, 2, and 3 are about to come out. And uh, working on um, no, lots of other stuff. There's, I'm busier than ever. There's uh, lots of books. I've been traveling a lot and uh, doing a lot of clinics in different places. I've uh, been in the studio quite a lot with a couple of different acts in uh, different parts of the, the country. And really busy. Good. Nice. It's a good time. Fantastic. Yeah. What have you been up to, Mike? Uh, let's see. I'm, uh, I'm mixing two more series for uh, Fox ADHD, which is kind of fun. Those start this week. I'm finishing up uh, Axe Cop and the other stuff that I'm doing and uh, buying a lot of iOS apps. <laughs> <laughs> you see there's no passion there. Uh, in the <laughs> I'll, let you, I'll let you know. I actually, I had a great time, like I was saying on the podcast, um, going uh, – to uh, Ben's Ben's place and recording uh, and filming uh, Sonny Landreth. Let me tell you, I'm not a big slide guitar guy, right? I, I don't know that world, but Sonny was so awesome. He's a phenomenal player. He's the nicest guy in the world. I mean, I, his whole band, you know, Brian and, and uh, Tony, his engineer, and just the whole band, you know, every once in a while, I don't know if you guys ever have these moments, and I'm sure you do in your own way, I really like what I do, right? Mm. I was having dinner, and I remember I was sitting there, and Sonny Landreth was sitting right across from me, and then my good friend, you know, Larry from API was sitting there, and the drummer was over there, and, and I'm, I just, I'm sitting here, and I'm thinking, man, I'm having dinner across from, you know, one of the greatest guitar players, slide guitar players, and his band, and it was just one of those moments that I just felt really kind of blessed just to just to be there just mm. just soaking it all up because it's after dinner you know everybody's going to go their own way and do their own thing but just to be around people like that and just to just to get to hear some of their stories and talk to them and and everybody has their own journey and everybody goes their own way and music is awesome and I don't know much about that whole you know slide guitar world and that whole thing but it's nice when you kind of can appreciate other people and you just see man they are just great players the drummer even though you're thinking you know he's a drummer it sounds like zydeco but yet you know when he's sitting there just just doing his you know sound check and just oh, setting out he is his, it's just great oh yeah the, the musicianship they were just so phenomenal and the nicest humblest guys and it was just great it was that was like i don't know it was just a real big highlight for me to to be able to 
just be there. So that's what I've been up to. <laughs> you know, that reason that you just said, that is exactly why I like doing this podcast with you guys. I feel exactly the same way every time we're here. It's uh, just phenomenal yeah. stories from very talented and interesting people. I just want to hug you. I know, <laughs> reach across the microphone. Right. Well, hey, listen, on that note, if you have any comments or questions, you can reach us at audio at nowcastnetwork.com. That's audio at nowcastnetwork.com. Also, don't forget... On our Facebook page, if you want to be entered to get the number one, first, first, number one, first book from Bobby, social media promotion, the first one, um, you can enter by uh, going on our Facebook and letting us know why you like the Audio Nowcast. Um, And uh, hopefully we'll get at least seven. We've got seven (laughs) listeners. (laughs) All right. Well, for myself and all the guys, thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API and West Wave Audio. The Audio Nowcast is hosted by Mike Rodriguez and uses Aphex's 230 Master Channel Voice Processor. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you.